Allen's Investigate, airing live on the United Public Radio Network, 105.3 FM in New Orleans. And welcome to the Allens Investigate with me, Shona Allen. And I'm Gary Allen, the Cockney Bard. We're broadcasting live on the United Public Radio Network, 105.3 and 107.7 FM from New Orleans. Now this week, we'd like to welcome our guest, Guy Loveridge, actor, presenter, journalist and publisher. Guy has a history of working in the automotive industry and commentates on historic motorsports, as well as working in local radio. He's appeared and been involved in making and presenting TV programmes, and he has been in films and presenting TV programmes. He's done stage work, having achieved BA Honours in Theatre Studies. He spent four years in the RAF. As a publisher and writer, Guy has been responsible for the publishing of over 20 book titles. He has an interest in the paranormal, having encountered some very strange experiences. Welcome, Guy. Thank you. It's great to hey. join you. Yeah, nice <laughs> to see you, Guy. Yeah, lovely to see you. Listening to the introduction, I can't actually believe that's me you're talking about. Oh, you should be proud of that. <laughs> wow, what an introduction. Yeah, it's a good introduction, isn't it? <laughs> It so, was. Um, uh, let's. Um, where we're going to start? Let's. Uh... Well, what about you then, Guy? Tell us a bit about yourself. Oh, you, you pretty much covered it, I think, in that uh, very fulsome introduction. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm just an average sort of bloke. I'm 53 years old, married, kids, live in Yorkshire in the United Kingdom. God's but own country. Yeah. Yeah. Throughout my life, there's been odd stuff probably the best way to sum it up as an introduction things happen well we'll come to that in a bit then I was going to ask you a little bit about um, what drew you into the motoring world um come rums uh I think I was that standard kid in a pram who went brum 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 <laughs> as cars went past in the early 70s and in the early 80s my dad bought a classic car a 1920s Austin 7 uh, as a hobby and insisted that I needed to be able to take it apart and then put it back together before he teach me to drive in it. So from 13 to 15, I stripped this thing down to its component parts and put it back together, and it worked. And you didn't and, have any uh, parts left over? No, amazingly, there was nothing. So I showed it to Dad, and he went, yeah, that works. Now do it again. Oh. Why have I got to do it again? Because it might have been a fluke. Goodness me. So uh, you, I did it in six weeks me. over a summer holiday. If that had been me, Guy, it would have had plenty of parts yeah, left over, it wouldn't have, it? It, would have <laughs> it wouldn't have worked anymore if you did No, it wouldn't have worked, <laughs> that's for sure. But that's wonderful, because I noticed I had a quick look at some of um, your videos on YouTube, and um, I could see you with some classic cars, some historic cars, which I love. I love classic cars. Mm. So yeah, I've been involved in that world since... The early to mid 80s i've worked at all of the goodwood revival race meetings since the year 2000 for example doing the period police force i've got an historic race license i've raced at monaco raced at goodwood three times and all over the uk in historic racing cars brilliant and what Amazing. was that like wow 
thrilling. Um, when it's when it's mine, it's great fun. When it's somebody else's very expensive car, it um, you tend to concentrate on the value, or I do anyway. <laughs> what sort of speeds are we talking about here? Um, down the straight at somewhere like Goodwood, just before you get on the brakes in the Connaught, I'm doing about 105 in single-seated Grand Prix cars, maybe 135, 140. Oh, Ooh, goodness me. <laughs> yeah. Quite scary, I think. Wow. If you've got time to be scared, you're not doing your job properly. Okay. <laughs> no, I think I'll leave that one alone. <laughs> Well, I know uh, Le, Le, Le Mans uh, rally because your your son, son was yeah. there. So yeah. Gary's son was in Le Mans. So, um, you know, sort of got to see the rally a few times, his son. They're in person, which is wonderful. So it's all very thrilling, I think, isn't it? It can be. It can be um, the greatest sport in the world. It's It's yeah. been fantastic to me over the years. Yeah, you've obviously got a great passion for that, haven't you? you know. Afraid so. It's a yeah. disease. <laughs> Well, I had a little tinker when I was younger as well. I had a lovely red Triumph Spitfire, which mm. used to, you could call it my little red spitty, and they used to turn on a sixpence. Yeah, absolutely. They're brilliant. Great. Yeah. Yeah, they're great in the summertime. Yeah. Not, not so good in the winter, though. It's quite no, cold, no. as I remember. <laughs> Made of fiberglass, isn't it? Yeah, it was. Fire. Yeah. 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 So not, they're, not they're... the safest in the world, is no, it? No, but they're good fun, though. They are. <laughs> It's all about the fun, isn't it? We don't worry about safety with things like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I used to have a Triumph Stag and that Did was... You? Yeah, but they have a problem with the uh, with the engines and the waterworks, don't they, some of them? I don't know if you know about Stags, but... Uh, yeah, they do. That Triumph V8 needed to be kept with absolutely. the right antifreeze mix. Yeah, it was, a, it was a bad one, that. Yeah, it was a bad one. Well, I actually um, had a look as well, and I saw, because you sent me a, a link over, and it was you being an auctioneer, which I didn't realise, and you were doing the Rand Luxury Car Auctions. Yeah, that was um, a project that we did in 2019, and I went over to Long Island, and we sold many millions of dollars worth of uh, very fine collector automobiles, the problem being that... Uh, as we were putting the next one together, COVID turned up, so that was the end of that project. Oh, okay. Oh dear. Uh, yeah. The dreadful COVID. Yeah. yeah. It's ruined a lot of uh, a lot of uh, people's businesses, hasn't it? A lot of hopes, dreams, and aspirations got flushed by COVID for sure. I know. Yeah. I know. But it certainly looked like a lot of fun, though, from what I saw. It, I was. it was. Yeah. It was I great to do. Was. Yes, I can imagine. So. Um, You've had a few kind of paranormal experiences. I mean, when did that kind of start to happen? Um, the first really odd experience was when I was 10 years old. Um, my mother was born and raised in Australia, came to the UK in the 60s. Mm. And the first time she'd ever been to France was when we went on a camping trip in France. Yeah. We're driving along. My dad's driving. I'm in the back. And my mum just reached across and told my dad to stop. And he pulled over and said, what's wrong? And she'd gone absolutely drip white in the face. And she said, we're going to go over a hill, down into a valley, climb another hill into a village. We're going to stop in the village square. There's a tree in the middle of the village square surrounded by a bench. A man's going to come out of the shop directly opposite us, carrying two loaves of bread. He's going to walk past, say hello, get on his motorcycle and ride away. 
I mean, right. said, don't be stupid. You were born in Australia. You've never even been to France before. She said, that's what's going to happen. So he started the car, drove, and it was exactly what she predicted. Wow, amazing. And had she done this kind of thing before? I asked. She said she didn't want to talk about it, and it wasn't probably for another decade that she actually started talking about that in the 40s in Australia and early 50s when she was a drama student, she'd experimented with Ouija boards and didn't like it. Really didn't well, like I'm it. Surprised. Right. I wouldn't yeah. recommend that either, particularly unless you really know what you're doing. Yeah, there's some bad, uh, bad things happen for the old Ouija board. Well, you know? they can do. Yeah. yeah, it's a bit like sort of uh, opening your front door and saying, "Hey, everyone, <laughs> come, in. come on in." Strangers <laughs> in. Yeah, you never. That's know. a very strange thing, though. That the old, well, the spirit of the glass and that, you know, and uh, it is. Uh, think you're actually pulling the glass and uh, and then they realize you're not touching the glass and it's moving rapidly around the uh, letters and numbers yeah. and that yeah <laughs> well i think that's human nature isn't it you tend to sort of immediately think to the logical side and think oh that's got to be someone doing that isn't mm. it and then of course yeah. when you remove all the logical what are you left with mm. the unexplained <laughs> exactly yeah it's yeah a, so that, that's one. It's quite an interesting thing, isn't it? So that was that was like a, a quite a rapid premonition then that she had. It was. It was. It was fully complete. She she didn't go beyond the guy getting walking past us, getting on his bike and disappearing, and there was nothing that wasn't in the context of what we were doing. It was so specific. That's what I remember. Now, I remember the story as if she was repeating it today, but it was that it was utterly, utterly specific to what was going to happen and did happen in the next five minutes. Wow. Well, that is, uh, you know, that is something, isn't it, in the next five minutes? Well, it is. Say. I mean, I, I totally believe it as well because, I mean, my, my dad, who's not oh, yeah. normally into this kind of thing, he had a really interesting experience. And his was came in a dream, though, so slightly different. And um, he had this bad dream and he dreamt that this man fell off the um, clock tower in Norwich. Now, in Norwich City, we have a big building um, mm. called um, City Hall and it has a really tall tower with a clock on the top. So in the dream, he saw the clock face and then the next thing he saw this man falling off. And it affected him so much, and he was so scared by it. He actually yeah. told his work colleagues the next day, and of course, they what do you, him, what do you think they that? did? They yeah. ridiculed him. They laughed and said, oh, "Don't be so silly," you know. Yeah. And literally, um, a few days later, this actually did happen. This was back in the fifties, sixties, yeah, I think. 50s, and what happened? There was actually um, a man up on the scaffold. I think he was either cleaning the clock or attending to the clock. And he did actually fall, and he fell on the bus shelter below. So uh, his his work colleagues didn't laugh anymore after no, that. No. I bet not. That's that's the <laughs> that's the story of my last. I'm delighted to say Ouija board experience. Very similar. Ah, tell us about that then, guy. Uh, it was my then girlfriend and one of my best mates. After a night out, we came back and decided, oh, let's let's do a, a homemade Ouija board. So wrote out the alphabet on you know, squares of paper, wrote down the numbers one to ten, yes and no. Got a glass, played around, had a few more drinks, nothing happened, thought this is daft. About to stop it, 
And um, I remember it was Gareth who said, OK, so for the last time, is there anybody there? And the glass shot across to yes. Mm. And okay. we all went, OK, who did that? No, no one. No one. It did it. It did it. OK. Put the glass back in the middle. Is there really somebody there? Yes. Well, mm. who are you? H-E-L-P. Help. Help. Well, who are you? H-E-L-P-F-I-R-E. OK. Help. Fire. Who are you? If you want us to help, who are you? G-E-O-R-G-E. H-E-L-P-F-I-R-E. OK, George, what's wrong? Help, fire, help, fire, help, fire. And then we got freaked out and lifted the glass off. But not before we got to just having all of us resting our little fingers on the glass so none of us could actually be pushing it. Yeah. I remember looking at the other two and thinking, well, I'm not pushing it and I can see you're not, but there's, there's a force here. It's mm. moving it around. So we held the, the glass up and burnt all the letters and all three of us slept in the same room then. And the next morning we, well, we were petrified. The next morning we walked into Huddersfield and the um, there was a, a banner headline that there had been a warehouse fire in Dewsbury the previous night and a guy called George Johnson had burnt to death, the night watchman. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's an incredible story, isn't mm. it? And that's why I've never gone anywhere near a Ouija board since. No. no. No, it can be quite frightening, can't it, for sure? Well, yeah, I wouldn't advise anybody to tamper with that. I mean, you know, no. but I mean, there are <clears throat> there are people who are able to control uh, things, situations and that. But uh, I wouldn't do it personally myself. Uh, you no. know, it's, no. it's too risky, isn't it? I it's, think so. there are people who do it and they, they seem to do, do all right and get messages. But uh you know, you don't, you don't really need to do that to um, As I say, to, the to tune with spirits. Exactly, you, know? you don't need that at all. No. no. But, you know, so I think that I actually, you know, talking about Ouija boards, um, it was quite funny because I was flicking through um, the adverts on Facebook the other day and one actually came up and it was a coffee table that was made into a Ouija board. Yes. I mean, yeah. who would want that? 60 quid, wouldn't it, or something? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> just put EastEnders <laughs> on and do a bit of the Ouija board while I'm on yeah. there. <laughs> oh my goodness. Anyway, um, so I, I understand you're in the REF as well, Guy. I was. Yeah. I um, spent a number of years in the REF, um, 88 through uh, 91. Oh gosh, was that the time of Iraq War? That was Gulf War One. I've got some uh, Operation Granby, which was the REF part in Desert Storm build-up support time in my logbook. Wow, Goodness interesting. That led me to another experience I cannot explain at all. Oh, go on, do tell. Yeah, um, I was stationed at REF Cosford, which is now the Midlands Air Museum and REF Museum in the Midlands. And we were, we'd finished flying for the day, training flying, put our aircraft away, had a beer. And I was walking back through the museum hall after hours and with, with two colleagues. And as we walked past one of the large Avro aircraft, the Avro Lincoln, I just looked up and I thought, crikey, they're working late tonight. There's a chap in the cockpit. And then I stopped and looked at him and I thought, why is there a guy in the cockpit wearing a flying helmet and a flying jacket? Mm. And I turned to my friends and said, can you see that? And they went, what? And we looked up and there was nothing there. 
Mm. But I was utterly, utterly, utterly as sure as night is day. That's what I saw. There was a guy in the cockpit going through pre-flight checks. That's what it looked like. He was looking down, checking across, checking things, looking out the window, looking down the wing, and then he was, wasn't there anymore. Well, I can, I can remember, Guy, driving down the motorway, and uh, that must have been about 12 or half past 12 at night, and I could see a motorbike headlight behind me, and uh, he had nowhere else to go, and he was there behind me for about 10 minutes, and that they completely disappeared. So, you know, there's no way he could have... He didn't go past me, so, you know, it's a similar sort of experience of what you had. It completely disappeared. And, yeah. um, you know, you can't, you can't really explain that, can you? No, as you I know, said, it, uh, it's utterly inexplicable. It yeah. is. It it's, is. it's quite interesting as well because um, you often kind of come across this experience and it's happened to me as well in that you, you look at something and you see it and then you look again because you kind of double take, don't you? And you look again and then it's gone. So I think that the mind, you're almost in kind of a meditative state and therefore you're more open to be able to see things. Mm. And then, of course, when your rational mind then kicks in, you're thinking, what? Hey, I shouldn't be seeing that. And then, of course, it just goes, doesn't well, it? Well, I think it's very interesting listening to, obviously, intelligent people relaying their stories. You know, like someone like yourself, you know, you talk to you, you're obviously an intelligent man so and well-reasoned. And so your stories, uh, you know, they have to be taken seriously and they can't, uh, you know, you can't ridicule you, can you? I think it's ridiculous. No. So it's very interesting, yeah. Well, as I say, it... it Weird stuff keeps happening. Mm. Does it keep happening to you, Guy? Yes. Every now and then, something really, really odd will happen that is just, I can't explain it, and no. chalk it up to, oh, okay. Well, that happened, but I have not a clue what it was all about. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, I know you've been to some um, sort of ex-airfields and things from World War Two as well, haven't you? Yeah. Um, not on any sort of um, deliberate ghost hunting kind of way, but just because I'm interested in heritage aviation and I flew with the Battle of Britain Memorial flight when I was in the RAF in the 1990 oh, season yeah. for the 50th anniversary. So yeah. I have a strong interest in that. And yeah. a number of them do have strong atmospheres. Yeah. That's, that's, that's all I can say. You feel mm. this is odd. I mean, the, the the classic one, um, not an airfield, but I was in with a friend in Normandy and we went to one of the German emplacements. Parked the car, lovely, typical seaside sounds, gulls overhead, walked through the scrub towards this emplacement, which I think it was something absolutely horrific, like it took the British and Canadian navies and bombers about a day and a half to finally breach this bunker. And of the 250 Germans who were there, about four came out. Goodness. And we're walking around it. And I said to my mate, Rod, um, have you noticed something? He said, what's that? I said, it's gone absolutely silent. Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No birds, no nothing. And mm. I've had the same at the, um, the Vimy Ridge Canadian War Memorial to the First World War in France, which is, a, a, I think, it's 10 acres of land, which the French government gave to Canada. It's patrolled by Canadian Mounted Police. Mounties are there. And. Canadian high school kids um, do their internship six months there as part of their college courses. And you go there and it's it's eerily quiet. Mm. Middle of the French countryside and the, the ground is still cratered. They've just not. And every now and then there's a loud bang 
when a sheep has found some ordnance and oh, it goes yeah. off. Oh, oh, my. But it oh. still has a very, very particular atmosphere. It's interesting. We um, talking of ordnances. We we've just had one not far from us at Great Yarmouth. They discovered a um, World War Two unexploded bomb, and mm. uh, that caused quite a <laughs> quite a buzz in the community. I can tell you. <laughs> I bet <laughs> it did. <laughs> it was in the newspapers recently, oh. everywhere. So <laughs> right, that was a giant <laughs> sand pit created there. I think. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway i digress um, finish your story guy because it's very interesting because i know that there's more to this as well isn't there well that there's there's been times where um i've been with people who would not think of themselves as being receptive or anything of that sort um we were i was commentating at sneston uh, the race circuit oh, in norfolk not far and they yeah, we were at an airfield. Well, it was a B&B, and there was an airfield at the end of the road, which was an American and U.S. AAF base during the war. Oh, was and that the old Buckingham? I can't remember the name. I'll have to. Really? I'd have to check. I've kind of blanked it out because it was a weird weekend all over. Um, <laughs> as we were driving to, as we were driving to Snetterton, things were jumping out of the hedgerow at us, like oh. among jack deer or birds, pheasants. Mm. They were just coming out of nowhere and literally hurling themselves in front of the car. My dad and eldest son were with me and they, they found it hilarious and said, you know, it's you. You're, you're just finding them. Like, How can I find creatures to jump out into the road? They're all going, guy. Well, well, that was it. That was what it felt like. Because the, the night before, in the dark, we'd gone out onto the airfield with really powerful torches just to see what we could see, just for the hell of it. And we're driving around the perimeter track and there was a massive bang and flash in the sky and i stopped and my dad and my son said well what, what on earth was that so i haven't got a clue and then it was silent mm. so, well I, I really can't explain what that was and i said well you know weird maybe it was don't know maybe it was a flash of lightning well yeah i mm. suppose it could be thunder and lightning yeah okay that makes sense went back to the b&b got up the next morning and we're talking about this weird thing and the chap who owned the B&B just shrugged his shoulders, rolled his eyes and chucked a pamphlet about the history of the airfield in front of us. Mm -hmm. And there was a, an experiment with a remote control B-17 full of high explosive, but it still needed a pilot to pilot it to make sure the remote control worked. But the explosives went off while he was aboard. Oh, no. And I think he was something to do with the Kennedy family. Oh, goodness. Well, it's the Kennedy curse, isn't it? The Kennedy curse. That's what's happening. <laughs> There's a it's very solid Kennedy that, curse. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, it's interesting, Guy, that uh, you've developed uh, this ability, like, and your mum had it as well. Oh. Mum didn't like it, and I'm, I have empirical proof of that. I was with a, a friend of mine who's a mutual friend, Hamilton White. He took me to a site that he knew was very resonant gave me some divining rods and said i've tried this on five or six people i want to try it on you walk up there i walked up and the rods crossed he said right and then he showed me his phone of the other people exactly where i was where the rods had crossed yeah. and we went to a few other places on this site in the midlands and we were walking down a sunken pathway and i just 
I dropped the divining rods and Hamilton said, what's up? I said, did you, I genuinely asked him, did you hear that? And he said, I didn't hear anything. So, well, okay, my mum, who at that point had been dead for seven years, has just shouted no in my ear. Really? And I said, I'm not doing this anymore. And he went, well, you are stood right in the middle of what I would regard as the hottest spot on this site. So, well, that's fine, but you're picking those up and I'm going home. <laughs> yes, listen to your did, mother. Did he carry on, Hamilton? <laughs> no, H came back with me. That was did enough. He? Yeah. Yeah. he proved his point. I, I'd had the confluence of the lines in exactly the same place as the other people. And where, and he then said that spot was actually where he'd found a relic. Oh, and he hadn't told me about the relic before we went to the site. Okay. Mm. So did you know anything about the history of the site at all? I didn't. Hamilton knows all about it. Mm. But I almost kind of put my fingers in my ears and went, no, 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 I don't want to hear about this now. Thank you very much. La, 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 la. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. But I think if you hear a very definite no, uh, I think you have to listen to that, don't you? Yeah, because it, does, it doesn't always, uh, you know, it's unusual that uh, your mum had, although she, she didn't really... Uh, want it for want of a better word and she was getting stuff and then it's come down to you and like me with my family my mum and dad wasn't interested in it at all and uh you know so it was very very difficult for me uh from 33 onwards you know trying to explain to people the experiences i was having you know it's very very difficult and, uh, it is. and of course, you know, when you first start experiencing these abilities, you do get uh, excited, shall we say, <laughs> and you're keen to tell people of these experiences. And of course, people must think, you know, you're completely off your trolley, you know, so that's very difficult until you, until you, uh, a bit later on in life, you're able to deal with that and able to deal with people and give them reasoned argument to as much as you possibly can, you know. Hmm. Yeah, I know. I've met people uh, in the States and across Europe who won't broach the subject, but when perhaps when a couple of glasses of something pleasant cross the lips, you start chatting. Yeah. Um, I have a, a, a very good friend and colleague in Switzerland who is a very well qualified professional gentleman with a, a very good living and a practice in what he does. He's, he's a world leader. And he is absolutely certain about um, voices from contacts from guidance from somewhere. Um, yeah, my dad's my dad's ex boss, um, the late uh, um, Sir Charles Horsley, uh, Sir Peter Horsley. Sorry, um, he was a an air vice marshal and was aide de camp to Prince Philip. He wrote, he, he talked talk to me at Farnborough Air Show one year about this, and he wrote a book about it called um, uh, Different Voices Other Room, something like that. And he was he maintains that he was contacted by someone who needed to speak to fin Prince Philip. Wow. Very interesting. That's a, that's a guy who was doing the ball bearing run during the Second World War in Mosquitoes, you know, a very highly decorated, very responsible RAF officer. And he was absolutely certain that there was something else in play. Well, someone I'd love to have met was uh, Michael Benteen. Mm. Uh, I think he was a, a, a fabulous man, Michael Benteen. And, uh, you know, uh, he had the experience where uh, his son uh, went up in the aircraft and he begged him not to go, didn't he? I think yeah. that's a quite well-known story. 
and uh, he got killed, didn't he? So uh, yeah. those two yeah, books are a fabulous man. Very well written. When he talks about his um, his father during the war and going to visit another um, receptive person in a pub on the docks down in I think it was Dover, mm-hmm. and um, Benteen is a kid <laughs> saying, "Well, you know what." This is this is not good. This is you know this is going to be terrible. And this chap putting his hand on his shoulder and saying, "Don't worry, everything's going to be fine," and then going back a fortnight later, and everything for a four or five blocks around had been levelled, but that pub was still standing mm. for whatever reason. The German bombs had bounced off it, dodged mm. it, avoided it, but it hadn't even been hit by a blast. The windows were still intact. It's amazing. Benteen well, says, "You know, the house next door was blown." all and sunder, but none of it impacted the pub. Wow. Mm, it's, it's, it's amazing, you know. Mm. Michael Benton, you know, I, we've had a few experiences uh, along the way uh, of Michael Benton, you know, contacting people. So it is very interesting, you know. And But he was such a wonderful man. And, it, it, you know, oh, to spend a couple of hours with him chatting would have been, uh, would oh. have been wonderful, wouldn't it? It would be, wouldn't it be really yeah. nice to be able to have a dinner party and invite all these wonderful people from history at the dinner party? Who would be your favourite guy, do you think? Oh, crikey. How, how many seats at the table am I allowed? <laughs> as many as you like. <laughs> it's a big table, yeah. Um, I'd love to invite Douglas Bader. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um chap called Mike Hawthorne, who was Britain's first world motor racing champion. He was killed in a car crash in February 1959. Mm. Love to talk to Mike because he was my dad's hero and has become one of mine as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'd like to talk to Baron Manfred von Richthofen, the Red Baron from the First World War. All right. Yeah, okay. Find out what, what his thoughts and what made him stand out. Mm. Mm. Yeah. That's cosy quartet. Yeah, it's a very interesting, you know, what motivates people as well, what really makes them tick. Mm. That's what interests yeah. me. Mm. I mean, I had, a, I had a friend guy who, uh, he was uh, he was in the war, and he and he said to me that uh, he'd flown a number of salties, and he said that when he came back, the guy that was in the bunk next to him, uh, you know, the next day was gone, and then there would be someone else, and then he'd mm. fly another salty, you know. And then he'd come back and the next guy was gone. Oh, I mean, terrible. it's an incredible way to live your life, isn't it? And the bravery of those men, you know, is astonishing. Yeah. I think they, they were driven by a, a certain fatalism. Mm. They accepted that the percentages were stacked against them. Yeah. And that bred a certain, uh, certainly certain camaraderie with your mates, but you accepted that, as you say, the, the guy's bunk might be empty tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. I think, was it Doris Stokes? I think she was able, because um, she ran or something at the time, but I know she, she worked with the forces, and she said that when she shook the hands of the airmen that were going off, yeah, she right. knew which ones were not coming back, and that what a, what a mm. terrible thing to you know to have to live with to know that to know something like that and that must have been terrible that i heard a story oh crumbs 30 whatever years ago back in 1990 when i was still in the raf and it was told to me by a second world war veteran and he said there was a period of time when the squadron adjutant who didn't fly um 
his dog would go and rest its head on the lap of people and they didn't make it 24 hours after that. Oh my goodness. So if the dog came towards you, you, you shoot him away as much as you could. <laughs> Don't come near Don't me. Don't come near me. <laughs> Go away, Fido. <laughs> four, four or five. He said four or five guys in the course of a week, mm. the dog would go and make a fuss of them, and then the next sortie was their last. Yeah, well, they they, have, they do have an incredible sixth sense, animals, don't they? Mm, they do indeed, yeah. You know, if you've got something wrong with you, they'll come over and, uh, you know, give you lots of attention and that. Yeah, mm. yeah. they're amazing animals. Sure are. They mm. are. I think the, um, I was thinking about the airfield you were talking about in Norfolk. I think it possibly could have been um, Old Buckenham, um, somewhere like that, because James Stewart actually was stationed there, Jimmy Stewart, during the Second World War. It's Tibbenham he was stationed at. Right. Um, and he flew from there, but yeah. he also sometimes used to go and visit Old Buckingham Airfield as well. And um, my brother is actually uh, learning to fly at the moment at Old Buckingham, so that's quite an interesting link. Yeah, it's an interesting link, isn't it? Definitely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I think that with the, with the airfields, I think with so many, so many of the airfields do appear to have retained this energy and i think mm. possibly the reason is because the height of emotions was so extreme that it's kind of just been left you know in in the sort of vicinity and it just kind of keeps repeating itself doesn't it mm. Mm. it is it is hard to explain you know what what the spirit world is but uh you know i've had i've had uh, enormous amounts of things but i've I see my friend's uh, wife who had died, had a vision of her, and uh, he got a photo out and he showed me that, and it was her. So that convinced me of life after death, and in what form it is, I have no idea. Uh, you know, some people say that it's this and it's that, but we don't really know. But all I can be absolutely certain of, uh, Guy, is that there is life after death. And um, and I'm also certain that, that uh, voices in your head is not just <laughs> schizophrenia and no. uh, you hear things. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, there's no question. I mean, you know, they, they've given me poetry and philosophy. So, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, that's what you do. You get you get the voice. I think most uh, there's um, an enormous amount of people who, who are hearing voices and they're too frightened to say anything. Um, whether that that voice is giving them some future prediction or or giving them some inspired work or poetry or music or philosophy, and they jot it down, but they think you know a lot of musicians do that, don't they? They write yeah. wonderful music and they don't yeah. know where it comes from, you know. Yeah, the the, the muse, as we call it, comes upon them from nowhere, and um, they can't explain it. I certainly can't explain it. No. no, no, no. Well, no. I know um, because you do. You've done some writing, haven't you? Written some books and, and some journalism. So, um, do you do you feel that maybe you were inspired in some of your work? Um, I was certainly inspired um, in my first book um, to to write it, and it, it was it, totally unlike me. Um, I'd run a mile if someone asked me to write an essay, even as a student. Do everything mm -hmm. to not do it but um, researched, just out of interest, this chap who was on the BBC Children's Hour before the war and it, up to 1943, who was a Methodist minister, 
and he wasn't an uncle. Everyone was uncle this, uncle Mac, uncle whatever, and auntie on children's hour, but he called himself Romany. Oh. It's actually the Reverend George Bramwell Evans. Right. And I started asking questions and visiting places where he preached and finding pictures of him at antique fairs and things. And then one day the, the phone rings and my wife, well, she wasn't my wife then, she was just my girlfriend, answers it. And she looked at me and she said, Romany's on the phone for you. I said, no, Romany's not on the phone. Romany died in 1943. Oh, that's well, an interesting one. Oh. Romany is on the phone for you. Right, okay, give me the phone. And it was actually his daughter who oh. was christened Romany June. That was oh. her name. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and she wanted to know what on earth I was doing, asking questions about her dad and her family, basically. Right. right. So I explained and said, well, you better come and see me. So I was summoned to Oxford okay. where um, she and her then her husband, Tommy, lived. And that soon became clear because she told me that I'd better write a book when I showed her all I'd researched that I was going to write the book. But that opened a whole other door because her husband was a chap called Tommy Watt, who was an Ivan Novello award winning jazz musician. Uh, and their son was is Ben Watt, half of everything but the girl. Oh wow, brilliant! Yeah. So, um, found a, a whole new thing, but that was definitely being told I was going to do it. And Victoria mm -hmm. still, my wife still maintains that she wasn't absolutely certain it was a woman's voice on the phone. Mm, oh, oh wow. yeah, no, I can, I can, I can believe that. There was a story yeah. about uh, Telly Savalas. You remember him, Kojak? Yeah, apparently he you went, look a bit like Kojak. Oh, what? Leave it out, leave it out. <laughs> he takes the mickey out of my... <laughs> we have to powder his bald spot. It's a bit shiny. <laughs> nice. So, yeah, excuse, excuse, excuse. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, Telly Savalas, he told a story of how he went to Scotland and um, he he met a chap over there and he was talking to him and the, and the chap said to him, oh, you know, um, I've got a, a note here and I want you to take it back to my, to my wife or, or partner, whatever it was. And, um, and so he got, he got the message and, uh, he took it back and, uh, he went to America and, uh, he was talking to the person and, uh, he was dead. So, you know, um, so he couldn't explain that, but that was an interesting story. I might've got that story a little bit mixed up, but, uh, nevertheless, I know that he had spoken to someone who was dead. <laughs> mm. Yeah. yeah. The, the, the Kennedy was Joseph P. Kennedy, John F. Oh. Kennedy's brother, and it was over Blythburgh, B L Y T H B U R G H, Blythburgh. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting, isn't it? Well, so, my um, family, the Kennedys as well. So, yeah. The cursed, the lot of <laughs> I know. Them. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's interesting. Now, I remember when I spoke to you as well, keeping um, focused on the uh, aeroplane stories as well i remember you when we were talking on the phone you mentioned about um i think it might have been your swiss friend again and how mm. um he was in the plane over the mountains can you tell us that story well that it was his father um was was up in a plane the weather closed in and he couldn't find a way of getting down mm. and he thought well that's it i'm going to keep on flying till i run out of fuel and that's the end of me because yeah. you're in Switzerland, a country full of mountains. And he said and he, he suddenly became aware of a, another aircraft flying in formation with him. Mm. And he thought, oh, 
brilliant they've sent someone up and so he waved and the pilot waved back and this pilot flew down and he followed his every move and there after five minutes of flying through total nothing was an airfield so he he landed taxied in switched off thought phew that was lucky and waited for this guy to land on with him and waited and waited, and waited. <laughs> so he got out went to the control tower they said blimey that was a bit of luck you finding the airfield he said well it wasn't luck it was that aircraft you sent up to to get me I said well, we haven't sent the aircraft we're not mad we're not going to send anybody else up in this no, no. Mm. astonishing isn't it yeah and uh, the, the the sun is now he has albums of photographs of orbs oh, right. take, take photographs at sensitive places where he feels something and when he gets them developed they're orbs of light on the print wow and is he going to be writing a book or anything about this i don't think he is no i've asked him to i've said he ought to yeah the, the story about his father in the because of course in switzerland they've had national service Mm -hmm. That that story's been turned into a book in German. Really? And my German's not good enough to read it, but the, the cover yeah. art is pretty clear what it's about. Yes. Um, but I don't think <laughs> he, he will uh, ever write anything. Story. I'd like yeah. him to. Mm, that'd yeah. be fascinating. It's interesting with orbs, though, because a lot of um, people, sort of the sceptics, they try to explain orbs away by saying, oh, it's just dust. And just yeah, dust. well, okay, some of it is dust to be fair to them but not all of it and no. um, we've had our own experiences with that where we used to live was a really old gatehouse um just by a wood and we thought you know we'd see if because we had a few happenings in this particular cottage so we thought one day okay we're going to see if we can capture some orbs we'll see what happens Gary then turns to me and said look in the corner up there he said take a picture now because one's going to um, appear up here took the picture great big orb right exactly football, it was it? exactly yeah. where gary had released really... now can you predict dust in a certain area when you take a picture no, no you can't um i we went also... to um i went to seattle oh 15 years ago and seattle for some reason i can't remember why they moved the street level up about 20 feet yeah. and subterranean seattle is still there and you can take oh. tours Right. And the people I was staying with took me on a tour and we're down in what used to be a building and it's all very interesting. And um, one of the, the, the people said, take a photograph of that corner there and then take another one. Well, if I've taken one, I'd just take another one. So I did and I took three. And when I had them developed, there were orbs on two of them. Oh, and I was wow. stood in the same place taking click, click, click. And two of them had, one of them didn't. Mm. Wow. it's an interesting it thing with uh, yeah with cameras though i mean we was uh, we was up at um, monsegur recently and i tried to take some pictures up there i took about 20 snaps and not one of the pictures came out you know where the mm. knights templars were in the cafars and that and not one of the pictures came out so <laughs> it's interesting i had a similar experience in egypt i went to egypt many many years ago now and um, one of the temples that I went to, um, I can't actually remember, shame on me, I can't remember which one it was, but I, I took loads of pictures, snap, 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 as I normally do. None of them came out. Yeah, no. So don't know how you explain that. No, no quite. Mm. But they are, you know, it's amazing. It's amazing with the, with the orbs and that. And I mean, 
we had one in America. I mean, America, where, I mean, you've been to America and you know, the, it, I don't know what it is. It seems to be more energy over there, more magnetic, doesn't it? Well, we discussed that with Michelle actually, didn't yeah. we? Because she found the opposite way. So whether it's just that we sort of, uh, we have to kind of shut our minds down a little bit because I mean, if it's happening all the time, I mean, you'd never be able to get on with life no. properly, would you? So with all no. the interference, it's a bit like a radio interference, isn't it? So we kind of, we have to kind yeah, of tune, funny, tune out yeah. a little bit. Yeah. But when we went to America, we found it was so, so many things happening. It was amazing. It was, it was brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. And we went to this um, little ghost town called Calico and um we saw orbs there and the thing is with these again it we ruled out the dust and the moisture theory because when we were talking to this orb i said look could you could you come out towards the camera please and it did and everything we asked it to do it responded to it was now, changing shape wasn't it it does well? dust, yeah. dust doesn't do that no. does it no no. no, it's not I mean, it was interesting because the, we were with um, uh, a Los Angeles uh, forensics detective and a bike rider for Arnold Schwarzenegger. So they wasn't fools, you know, we were with. Mm. And uh, they were also interacting with this uh, this orb and it was changing shape as they were talking. It was, was extraordinary, Pasadena. wasn't it? Yeah. And I mean, it wasn't yeah. just the size of a football. It was like... It was like massive, wasn't it? Mm. It was absolutely that was Pasadena Playhouse, wasn't it? It was yeah. massive. Yeah, it was absolutely massive. Yeah. So I mean that that was quite an interesting place because it had it it had a number of sort of incarnations. I think it had been a church and a morgue and a bordello and, bordello, and then yeah. a theatre, and so it had many incarnations in its mm. life. So you think, goodness, you know, all the energies and things gathered together in there. I mean, how could you fail not to get mm. something? Mm. I mean, I don't know what I don't know what orbs are. I mean, some people say, "Oh, they're a manifestation of spirit." But I have no idea, and I mean, I don't even pretend to know what it is. It just, it just is, and it just is it's unexplainable, well, really. To me, I think it's energy. Mm. To me, and I think, I mean, everything is energy, isn't it, in the universe? And I think that's the one thing that I've always thought about with life is the fact that you know, energy. It doesn't die, does it? It's not no. created. It just is there. What energy does mm. is it merely changes form. So mm. I believe that when we die, we might lose this physical vehicle, if you like, but that essence and energy inside, it lives on. It's lives eternal. On, yeah. 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 I think mm. it is that it's a it's a, a physical echo of what once was there in a a human form, if you like, in this mm. flesh and blood yeah, body exactly. suit. And yeah. I think it is the, it's too, you know, it, it, as you said, um, nature doesn't create and destroy energy. It just changes form. Changes mm. form, exactly. Light, heat yeah. energy, kinetic energy becomes something different when channeled in a different way. So how can a vital life energy just stop? No, exactly. I don't believe it can. No, no, I, I don't, don't think so. I'm totally with you yeah. on that guy. I, I just, you know, it. <laughs> the trouble is, I think, you know, in the in the kind of psychic worlds and things and the paranormal, you know, there are professional skeptics out there, and that is their mission, their job, to try to stop and poo-poo it, it all yeah. and to stop it from getting out. But the trouble mm, is, yeah. that's the one thing really they can't actually explain away is the fact that if everything is energy, which it is, isn't it? Then yeah. how how can you not 
understand that that energy is not going to die it's just going to mm. change its form isn't it yeah. and it's if you think about it rationally it's what all religions tell us as well mm. we go on from here to heaven if you're a christian there's yeah. um rebirth as something else with a lot of eastern religions buddhism mm. and that yeah yeah nothing actually tells you it's a full stop there's always no. another step mm. yeah well you look at that uh, you look at so many beautiful people like for example i mean my mum was a beautiful woman and you just think well how can something so beautiful just be nothing you know how can it just go and be nothing and uh, and you, you know, you're always looking for that sort of thing and thinking, well, you know, when people lose someone so close, and you think, well, how can it just go to nothing? It can't, can it? You know, uh, I mean, love is there, and we know that love's there, and you'll and love, always love, yeah. and love never goes, love never leaves. But uh, well, that's the interesting no. thing with love as well is you can't scientifically quantify it, can you? But we know it exists because we feel it. Yeah, it's a, an intransient force that compels and repels but as you say you can't sit down in a science lab and go right how much love is there in this room tonight how how much do you love this person <laughs> well there was a there was a classic one uh you know there's a classic one with um you know the skeptics of richard wiseman for some i mean when i spoke to him once on the phone and uh, i was trying to explain to him that i was i was basically channeling all this wonderful philosophy and poetry and uh, and he said, oh, I'll send you this this test. So he sends me this Zena test or Zena Zena cards. And I've never heard such rubbish in my life. You know, you've got to guess what circle goes with what circle, what square, and what. And I thought, what a load of old topic. And it's nothing. It's nothing about what I told him anyway. I mean, you know, what's well, it, that going to prove? Well, Lord, it's basically like giving somebody who's a maths genius a history test, isn't it? Really <laughs> stupid. Yeah. <laughs> But it was the more you get right, the more psychic ability oh, you had. Okay. But the point of it is, you don't know how many you got right because no one ever told you. They never tell you. Okay, right. That makes a lot of sense, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah, yeah quite. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. But it is very interesting, though, isn't it? I think it's, mm. you know, it's good to have a conversation about these things. And I think, sadly, I think that the paranormal um and life after death etc i think for many years i think it's being deliberately ridiculed so that people don't really discuss it and talk about it yeah exactly it has been and it's um you look back in history and anyone with slightly different thinking gets ridiculed be yeah. it da vinci be it nikolai tesla be it einstein until mm. until it's accepted thought and if, if you imagine you were sat in a bar in ohio in 1902 and the wright brothers walk in and tell you that within a year they'll be flying yeah of course you will guys yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah get on that route bear boys <laughs> yeah. have another beer. Yeah. have another route and yet, and yet now we've we've achieved supersonic flight and we don't think twice about getting into a steel tube and flying around the world do we exactly so yeah. thank goodness for visionaries then isn't it yeah exactly and yeah. where's the conclusive argument that tells me that a psychic is not a visionary mm. well there we go i mean it's interesting with nikola tesla 
Um, because Nikola Tesla obviously was demonstrating some kind of clairvoyant ability because he used to be able to see, he'd have a flash of inspiration and he'd see these um, inventions working and he'd keep fine tuning them, not by making them physically, but by doing it in his mind. How mm. incredible is that? Yeah, incredible, man. Have you read um, Nick Cook's The Hunt for Zero Point? Yes, I have actually. That affected me massively because I knew him as a, a flight international aviation journalist mm. from you know from from my world, if you like. And reading that, I, I know some people have dismissed it as massive conspiracy theory, but the things he touches on there that he's approached from a very scientific, cold journalistic viewpoint really blew my mind. Some of the mm. And it's, it's tied in with the mysticism, it's tied in with uh, the esoteric, it's tied in with Tesla, it's tied in with some of the yeah, weird, weird things the Nazis were up to. Yeah. yeah but... Well, I mean, um, according to some, I mean, it's interesting that they were actually supposed to be working on saucer projects, weren't they? They were. And were they working on a time machine? Oh, the Wenceslas mine, I think it was called, wasn't it? That's I remember it. Yeah, yeah, that that's yeah. really interesting, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I think that um you know, I've seen several programs about it, one of which I think was trying to debunk it and say oh it was just a water tower, but there were some interesting things there that yes. you know, I think some of the locals um that were around sort of at the time or remembrances from around the time um were talking about cabling am I right in that? Yes. Yes. Cable. Why did we need such high-powered cabling for a water tower? Mm, exactly. I don't normally <laughs> mix electricity with Not water. Really. Not a great <laughs> mix, no. And Not it, really, no. And then, no. then you factor in what the Americans were up to with the Philadelphia Project. Yeah, yeah that, that was, was very interesting, That was interesting, wasn't it? wasn't it? And there's enough contemporary evidence about, I mean, we, we won't go to that particular area, in uh, Nevada, but there's enough evidence of what the Americans were up to. I mean, Nick even talks about an American Air Force press release mm. that was an official release that then got hushed up within a matter of weeks, but it went out. It's in the Library of Congress. They can't argue. It hasn't been destroyed. They put out a press release. They were experiment with what I suppose we call quantum theory now, that what better way of hiding a battleship than have it suddenly not be there? Mm. Well, exactly. Well, I think they they Invisible tried to explain shield, some of it away by uh, degaussing experiments, didn't they? But yeah. it doesn't doesn't quite cut it for me. I think obviously something was going on, wasn't it? Mm. For sure. So, I think wasn't it to do with torsion fields as well? Yes. Mm. Yep. And the, the the zero point energy theory being that if you can achieve that. You know, I wish someone would because we wouldn't need fusion or fission. We could be nuclear free and have enough mm. power for everybody forever for zero exactly. destruction yeah. of the planet. Well, yeah. I think that's the thing that uh, Nikola Tesla was was demonstrating is the fact, and he said, didn't he, that we have an abundant source of energy, free energy all around us. Absolutely. Um, mm. And he wasn't the only man, actually, the uh, who who discovered this and knew this. There were no. other inventors as well. I think. One was called, I think, Thomas Henry Murray, if I've got that right. I think yeah. he, he invented something as well. Keeley. Keeley was another one. So there's been actually quite a few people and, and many others as well. I think um, 
I can't remember his name. I think he was a Russian guy, Grab Grabovsky or something. I can't remember. Some mm. someone will probably tell me anyway. But he also discovered this, and I think his was to do with beetle wings. He found that by by tapping these um, beetle wings, it, it caused them to levitate. So yeah, it's, it's fascinating. Yeah. Mm. yeah. No, certainly food for thought, isn't it? Mm. There's a lot out there, definitely. But it's interesting, the old, I had some, some woman at a bus stop, I was talking about some things, and she said, oh, you're one of those conspiracy theories. <laughs> and, uh, and I said, well, a conspiracy is just a truth waiting to be found, isn't it? And she yeah. didn't know what to say. Well, no, I was going to say, I think the conspiracy theorists are up 5 nil on. Yeah, 5 nil. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 5 nil to the conspiracy theorists. Oh, it's unbelievable, isn't it? Honestly. Yeah. But it's, it's very interesting. But, but they can't give you a rational argument, can they? That's well, the no, point, you know. No. I think the problem is that that's the very frustrating thing about the, the whole kind of thing with conspiracy theories mm. and the paranormal and everything else is you do try to have a conversation with people and their immediate response, some people, is they immediately say, oh, it's a load of old rubbish. Load of rubbish. And I said, well, have you actually investigated it? Have you looked at it then? I don't need to because it's a load of rubbish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, how, how do you reason with people like that? Because that's how you find truth. Well, that's you, debate, isn't it? You know, if you want yeah. to find truth, then you've got to go look for it. You've got to do your own research, yeah. not rely on what a book says or what a so-called expert tells you. You have to do that yourself to find the truth. Don't well, that you? is it. That's the, that's the art of debate, though, is it being able to reason, isn't it? Mm. And that we, I think we've lost that to great degrees now. People are not able to reason, are they? No. No, people have lost the ability to think for themselves, for want of a better phrase. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You accept what you're told. Pat on the head, get on with it. Yeah. And free, free thinkers. <laughs> yeah, free thinkers, that's well, right. Well, it's the trouble if you're a free thinker. You know, it's a bit of the old herd mentality, I think, that goes on there because I think that there probably are actually more free thinkers than we think there are out there. But I think the problem is they're a bit scared to step mm. out of the the herd, aren't they? And for the yeah. rest of the herd, going, oh, well, you're weird. You know, we don't want anything. Yeah, you're to a do. weirdo. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're all weirdos here, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> would have thought so. We wouldn't be here otherwise, would we? <laughs> but I'd rather be weird than normal and yeah. boring. I have to say. But I think that's the thing. If if you if someone can give you a a, a Russian Russian and reasoned argument. Uh, instead of uh, just dismissing something, well, that would be fine, wouldn't it? I mean, you know, in uh, I think it was uh, in 80, 89, 90, I, I was in uh, Benidorm, or oh, it might have been earlier than that, I think, it, yeah, no, it was about around that, and uh, I saw uh, through iPad binoculars a flying saucer, and I could actually see the uh, the glass on, the, on this saucer-shaped object, and it was going at such enormous speeds, you know, one minute it was there, and then it was over there, and then it went behind the building and completely disappeared. And then it wasn't long after that that the stealth bomber came out. So, uh, you know, the Americans uh, were, were extremely advanced at that point. And, you know, I, 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 you know, I don't necessarily believe in um, uh, aliens and things like that. But, you know, you've got to keep an open mind on it. But I, I realised that when I got the stealth bomber and I saw that, I realised that they did have some extraordinary things, didn't they? Oh, well, I think we're extremely yeah. advanced. I mean, I, um, you must have heard about the cattle mutilations quite a lot some years ago. 
Yeah, that, that was kind of a strange thing as well. And I think there was always a kind of a lot of talk about um, black military helicopters at the time hovering over um, yeah. these happenings. But what I thought was quite interesting is that they seem to share a common link, and that is the, the wounds were cauterized. And I thought, well, if they're cauterized, very interesting, because I remember not long after we started hearing about the cattle mutilations, we started having the laser, um, the laser yeah. surgery, so it would cauterize the wounds, you know, win surgery. Yeah, but that's so, just a conspiracy. Yeah. <laughs> but I was kind of thinking to myself, well, do you think don't maybe... Think. May, yeah, don't think, no, it's bad for you. But I was thinking that maybe do you think that uh, perhaps certain parties were doing some experimentation on you know tissue to see you know how it worked before they then implemented it into um mainstream medicine yeah stranger things have happened you just have to look back at some of the uh, the photographs of um surgery techniques post first world war of skin grafting and things yeah and sure. just Amazing. because that was done with sanction to save poor fighting men's appearances. Oh. I bet they didn't just suddenly arrive at that as an answer. They, I'm pretty sure they experimented a bit beforehand. Yeah, mm. that's right. It's a bit like Dolly the Sheep, and it. Remember that coming out, Dolly the Sheep? Oh, it was. Yes, yeah, exactly. Our own clone, yeah. Mm. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, I remember that in the Sun headlines, Dolly the Sheep cloned. And that's going back a few, few years, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. It is a while, yeah. yeah. To come on now, it's incredible cloning people, I think, but uh, that's another conspiracy theory. <laughs> but uh, anyway, guy, we are coming to the end of our time. Well, sort of, I think we've got a little bit longer, yeah. But I'm really interested in talking to you because I remember also you mentioning about um, even in your, your own home, you had an experience as well. Our, our house is an 1827 house. And the, the previous owner died in the house. You know, fairly common in an old house, people die. They used to not go to hospital to die. They died in their homes. Yeah. This lady had died in the um, 1990s. And for the first year and a half, we'd hear footsteps. We'd hear doors banging. We'd hear a muted cough every now and then, clearing of a throat. Um, one day this got to a particularly, it was when we were renovating the house. We were, you know, stripping back plaster, finding old doorways that had been bricked up and things. And it got particularly, you know, active. Mm. And my wife went up to what was the old lady's bedroom and basically went in and said, no, you can stop this. This is our house now. Mm. We're looking after it. We're cherishing it. It was yours for a long time, but it isn't anymore. Yeah. And it all stopped. Oh, yeah. All stopped. Yeah. So she go. was obviously a bit upset and thinking, no, I don't want you to change that. I like it as it is. Yeah. Thank you very well, much. Cool my house. <laughs> so it makes you think sometimes that perhaps people pass over and, you know, they're perhaps not aware that they've passed over. I think that's a very good point. The, the, the conscious mind... I mean, let's not get into telekinetics and things like that, but the power of the mind is huge. And uh, even medical science reckons we're only using about 15% of what our minds are capable of living every day. <laughs> Some about 1%. <laughs> so why is it beyond the wit of wisdom that 
someone who refuses to accept their death finds a way of their spirit maintaining. Mm. That's right. I think so. Or if someone has a traumatic death um, and didn't want to die that day, didn't expect to die that day, has a sudden and traumatic passing, yeah. it's right. a, perhaps a blip in their personal timeline and they jump yeah. off. Mm. Exactly. Well, that's yeah. quite true, isn't it? It's another mystery we can go into another time, I think. Well, it is interesting. So. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, I know you've got loads more stories to tell, and I'm I'm quite intrigued. I think I think we're on basically till um we've got another ten minutes to go yet. So you're all right if you want to tell some more. Be fascinating. Sure. Yes. Yes, that's fine. Well, so if you want to tell some more, you've you've I believe you've had Hamilton White on, haven't you? Yeah, well, we no, we haven't personally. He was on a different show, but yes, we know Hamilton. You know Hamilton. Um, you should have him on. Um, <laughs> tell him that. Tell him if he's watching. Hamilton, come on. <laughs> I will. Um, I, I asked him if I could tell this story, and he said, yes, absolutely fine. Um, a few years ago, we were going with some of his artefacts to see uh, a chap in the Midlands. And we took these things to a hotel because we it was a fair distance away from where we both were. So we had a night in the hotel and Hamilton said, here's my distilled thoughts. I've written down some of the weird stuff that's happened to me lately. What do you think? I'll see you in the bar in an hour. And I sat in my room and I read this, this manuscript and I went downstairs and there was already a beer for me and I necked it in one. And Hamilton said, how long have you known me? I said, well, we've known each other since the last century age. He said, do you think I've made any of that up? I said, I, I, no, but I wish you had. Because that's weird, weird stuff. Mm. He said, I know, it is. And I can't explain it. But I have friends who are psychics. And they have said that I have got this aura that's following me around. I said, OK, that's great. Um, can you keep it to yourself, please? And we had a pizza and had dinner and whatever and turned in for the night, him in his room, me and mine. And at three o'clock in the morning, I found myself moving out of bed into the wall next to the bed Ooh. and my ribs hurt. And I would swear I'd just been kicked out of bed. Oh, my goodness. And I had a bruise. The next morning, I showed Hamilton the bruise in my side. And I picked up my phone. And as I looked at the screen, a message came from Hamilton and said, yeah, it's bloody weird, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Goodness. So, so I rang him up and said, H, do you? He said, yeah, it's it's my knight, the bloke who follows me around. Hmm. Said, um, I wasn't belittling your stories when I said I wish they weren't true. I just haven't got it in my head at the moment to get my head around the fact that they clearly are true. So, oh, yeah, but he just won't draw your attention to the fact that he is with us. Yeah, yeah. so give you a good boot. <laughs> yeah, he gave he... good telling off, didn't he? <laughs> well, Hamilton gave the guy a, a rollicking for it. But, but at the <laughs> time, I was a good 18 stone. I'm six foot tall. But I flew yeah. through the air, and this hit me hard enough to give me bruised ribs. Goodness wow, sake. that's yeah. amazing. So do you think that... Um, I know you've had a lot of experiences because I remember we, we had quite a long chat on the phone. Do you think that you ever may put pen to paper and talk about any of these in a book? This is going to sound really weird. The time doesn't feel right. No. Mm -hmm. 
I was with Hamilton the other day and he showed me a Holocaust relic. Mm-hmm. I couldn't touch it. I could yeah. not physically touch it. I tried, but there was something about that object that I physically couldn't be close to it anymore. Mm. And Hamilton said, that's weird, because my mate, who is very much a psychic, he feels exactly the same way. When Hamilton and I went to Tomar, to uh, Portugal, and yeah. went to the Temple of Citadel at Tomar, there was a part of it that I couldn't walk, walk around. And I said, what's yeah. wrong? I thought, I cannot be here anymore. I have mm. got to go. And we left and get to another bit, and it's absolutely fine, and we're plucking oranges off the trees and eating them and stuff. But that <laughs> particular part couldn't cope with, could not. Yeah. Something wasn't as dramatic as my mum shouting no or stop, but it was, I shouldn't be here. I really do not feel comfortable in this place at mm. all. So I wonder what happened in that particular part because i th- wasn't there some sort of the uh, inquisitions and things that went on there i'm not sure if i'm right or that but i know there were certainly some some things that went on there wasn't there yeah mass murder happened in that part oh okay so you obviously picked up on that then i i, I guess i guess so it's the yeah. only explanation i can come up with by so i love castles and love history and but that particular bit couldn't deal with it no. no, I think this is the truth, though, isn't it? Of it is that um, you know this is something we all have an innate ability within us to Everyone be able to do it, that. Yeah. Every single person on the planet, animals have this naturally. Um, you sixth know, sense, yeah. the sixth sense mm. and intuition. Everybody has it. It's funny that everyone does, but not everyone's willing to admit it. No, and then um, you you read about um, Brian Wilson, the Beach Boys. Mm-hmm. He did a song called Good Vibrations. Massive hit all over the world in the mid-60s. Yeah. What's he actually talking about? Well, He's talking about the ability to pick up vibrations from people without talking to them. Mm. Mm. Well, I think it's interesting as well because it, there was an absolute explosion of really creative works, I think, in the 60s and going into the 70s. And I think maybe I was talking about Gary... Uh, to Gary about this before and I was thinking do you think maybe it's because and I'm not advocating this in any way shape or form I just want to make that clear but do you think it's probably the use of some of the experimental sort of um, psychedelic drugs maybe I think freeing the bounds of social mores allows free thought Oh yeah, and that's sure. a lot of the reason that the establishment didn't want LSD no. or any of it I mean yes it's Psychotropic drugs are damn dangerous, so don't mess around with them. Yeah. But I think you're right, Shona, the, the, the explosion of freedom of thought that happened with the post-war generation, mm. and not, not all of them were on mind-expanding substances. I mean, no, no. yes, no, Jack no. Kerouac started it, and the Beats promoted it, and it carried on through psychedelia, but... Well, I know, I don't, I don't think Agatha Christie was on psychedelic drugs. <laughs> No, I don't think she was at all. Or Roger Kipling. Well, actually, actually, um, I think he was. Oh, Roger, I'm just... Yeah, when he was in India, I think he did dabble a bit, actually. Oh, my God. I'm sure he did. Yeah, and, uh, he did. You know, it always goes hand in hand. I mean, um, yeah. one of the, 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 the greatest romantic poems, uh, Coleridge, Kublai Khan, in Xanadu de Kublai yeah. Khan, The Stately Pleasure Dome Decree. He wrote it when he was off his trolley. 
Yeah. Oh well, yeah. And he admitted it. He he was got he was interrupted by the postman bringing him a letter, and he he went to the door and took the letter, and then he sat down to continue the second and third stanza, and it had gone because he wasn't oh. stoned anymore. Oh no. Uh, he was on <laughs> opium, which was legal at the time. I bet he was really annoyed with that postman, wasn't he? <laughs> I'm sure he was, because once he published the, the incomplete poem, people like Byron were writing to him and saying, you've got to finish this, it's amazing, you know. Yeah. I know. No, I, I can't. Think really, I think it just goes to show, because I know um, the shamans all over the world, I mean, they, they take certain um, psychotropic drugs and things to to tap into areas of the brain um, that stimulates areas that we don't normally use. And mm -hmm. I think we really, as we said earlier, we really don't know the true depths of the mind, do we? No, not at all. No, but, uh, but it's fascinating. But, yeah. but listen, what guys. What a wonderful guest. What a wonderful guest. I've really, really enjoyed chatting to you, yeah. Guy, and I hope that you come back sometime and, um, you know, tell us about when you come out with some more books as well, because I'll be fascinated with those. Thank you, Gary. Thank you, Shona. Delighted yeah, to uh, be on. It's been lovely. Thank you very much. You take care. Yeah, take care. You too, guys. Soon. Bye. 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 Well, what a guest, though. What a guest. Yeah. Really super interesting with that. Yeah. He's had some amazing, amazing, amazing experiences. experiences. Yeah. And I know that he's had many more as well, because I spoke well, to him has. on the phone, yeah, but we just yeah. don't have the time. Well, just to say that... Uh, Next week, we've got a very special show because we're going to have the Allens investigate the, the Allens. Allens. Yeah, yes, we're going to investigate ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think only because people have been asking about yeah, us. Yeah, they have. They've don't been really asking. Too much, so, uh, so. We'll, be, we'll be telling some amazing stories. So yeah, tune so in. I hope you, you tune in next week, guys, yeah. if you're listening. So thank you once again for joining us on the Allens Investigate. You can check us out at www.theallensinvestigate.com and we're broadcasting live on the United Public Radio Network, 105.3 and 107.7 FM from the beautiful, gorgeous city of New Orleans. And I must go and visit there. We must go sometime. Yeah, sometime, sometime. I think it'd be absolutely wonderful. Bye for now. <laughs> I, I think it would be gorgeous wouldn't it been to america before want to go back definitely enjoyed yeah. it <laughs> well i hope you tune in next week and i hope you've enjoyed uh listening to our conversation with the wonderful guy this evening and uh certainly some, some extraordinary stories there certainly some food for thought oh, there yeah. really is because as we were talking about the mind i think that the mind has a capacity that we really don't know the true yeah. depths of well that's the aim of the allen's investigate isn't it to dig deep well it is because i yeah. think the thing is that we need to dig deep and search for the truth, as we I mentioned earlier on. You know, don't rely on what no. people are saying. Don't even rely on what we say, because that's just our search opinion. Search yourself, isn't it? Search, search yourself truth, to yeah. find it's the there. truth. And I know that there's a wonderful Buddhist comment on this about the truth, which has completely gone from my brain, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> but never mind. But anyway, guys, thank you so much for watching. Take care and well, speak. Listen. Oh, listen.